Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. We put a lighthearted spin on personal finance. And today, we have our work cut out for us. That's because on today's episode, we're talking about homelessness, a very unfunny topic that affects millions of Americans. And you know what, Matt? People experiencing homelessness are kind of invisible. And if you're not interacting with these people, then maybe you really don't know who they are. We're going to showcase a local not-for-profit that is addressing these issues and talk about some of the great work they're doing to get people into homes. And, of course, we'll discuss some practical information on what to do if you are experiencing homelessness or want to help this issue and its cause. That little clip is from Runaway Train by Soul Asylum, and if you want to feel old, that song came out almost 30 years ago. That song is about runaway teenagers and children. Its music video went viral back then because it featured real profiles of some of these kids, and it brings up a real issue. When we think of homelessness, we usually don't think of kids, or at least I don't. No, not usually, but according to HUD, children make up 23% of individuals experiencing homelessness. That's more than one in five. Yeah. When we are thinking about homelessness, it's not just a handful of people. We're talking about millions of Americans. If you look at the statistics from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, on any given night in 2017, over 550,000 Americans were homeless. And at any given time throughout the year, one and a half million people. So that means there were over 300,000 kids without a home last year. And it's not just children who are some of these vulnerable people. A lot of people are homeless because of domestic violence, 14% of them. So again, hundreds of thousands of people who are fleeing violence in their home. Absolutely. And to to piggyback on that, veterans as well, 7% based on uh, the National Alliance to End homelessness. And that's just what's being reported. Sure. There are some people who are not homeless in the most literal definition. Mm-hmm. There are people who are staying with friends or family. They're living on couches. They're Absolutely. living in a motel room. They're living in a halfway house. There's even that many more people who are facing what is called the imminent risk of homelessness. Yep. Imminent risk of homelessness, basically individual or family who will imminently lose their primary nighttime residents. And Matt, I told you about this a while back. Ash and I, we were moving from our apartment and we had a neighbor who was in a position where the rent was going up and up and up. And her income hadn't really changed at all. And there was a lot of volatility in her income. Mm -hmm. And we were just having this conversation and she was like, you know what? We really can't afford the rent here. But then again, we can't afford to move either. 
So she was kind of stuck in this middle place where she was just hoping that something would work out and that the worst scenario wouldn't actually happen in their situation. So there are a lot of people who are experiencing this, this imminent risk of homelessness. And what could those people do? Because if you're struggling with low income and uh, having high housing costs, you're not saving up a bunch of money. No, not at all. You're not able to plan ahead all that well. I think the stereotypes of homelessness are often about people who are really irresponsible. Absolutely. They can't handle an adult life. But look at the causes of homelessness. Sudden loss of income. Well, that Mm -hmm. might be because your company you work for went out of business. You got laid off through no fault of your own. Absolutely. Or you could be employed, but you're just underemployed. There was a, a study that I came across. It was by the Low Income Housing Coalition. And basically it said that minimum wage workers would need to work 122 hours a week or hold down three full-time jobs just to make a modest amount of income for a two-bed rental. Yeah. And to put that in context, there's 168 hours in a week. Exactly. So you're basically talking about doing nothing but working just to pay your bills. People can't do it. Yeah. So if you are kind of stuck in a scenario or position and you're thinking about the cost of moving and you're already underemployed and don't have enough to take care of your current expenses, can you put down a down payment? Can you pay for the movers to come to help pack up your stuff if you have actual reliable transportation in many instances you can feel really really stuck yeah and we're still talking about some things that are relatively stable or predictable but life is full of all sorts of crazy emergencies yes a lot of people are homeless because of divorce yeah a lot of people are homeless because their car needed repairs or because they had a health crisis or because something happened to their kids Homelessness is not just people who are irresponsible. It's people trying to get through their lives. And, and, you know, you keep bringing up the the term irresponsible. And I keep going back to the fact that roughly 70 percent of Americans don't have an emergency fund set aside to cover an unexpected major expenditure. And I don't think that we always really sit down and think about how close we are to that other side, as you had mentioned, any event that something comes up, like when we throw out these numbers, you and I are looking at this big picture. We've always seen that reality, but we've never really called it out because there are so many of us that are teetering on that line and we don't even realize that we are. There are so many reasons people experience homelessness and a lot of people just need a little help. One of the best places to get that help is from a local homeless shelter. Here in Athens, we have the Athens Area Homeless Shelter. So joining us today to share more about the transformative work they're doing is Jocelyn Crumpton. Jocelyn, thank you for being here. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. We're really glad that you're here. To get started, tell us about Help Athens Homeless and your role as the Almost Home Shelter Coordinator. Yeah. So at Athens Area Homeless Shelter, we are a nonprofit that is essentially helping families experiencing homelessness become stably housed. Okay. And so we have two main programs. We have a number two emergency shelter locations. Okay. We have one on Barbara Street and we have one off of North Avenue. All right. Called Arch Villages. We also have a rapid rehousing program 
which is called our Going Home program. Oh, wow. And so that's a six-month rental. I like that name, Going Home. Mm -hmm. And so our shelter program is Almost Home. Okay. And then our rapid rehousing program is Going Home. So it's this idea of we're becoming. Mm Mm-hmm what it is that we're we're aspiring or wanting, right? Exactly. I, I love that every step of the way. Right. Uh, all right. All right. I see y'all. Yeah. <laughs> so so we're we're a nonprofit that again works with families experiencing homelessness. So that could be kind of whatever they define as family. So okay. we serve moms, single dads, two head of household families, non traditional households. We've had two cousins who have lived together their entire lives and have dependent children. Okay. We were able to serve them because they consider themselves a household. All right. And so really the requirements is you have to be experiencing homelessness and you have to have dependent children in your care under the age of 18. Okay. Tell us about your program. So I'm the Almost Home Shelter Coordinator on our Barbara Street location. Okay. And so at the location, we can house up to six families. All right. At the Barbara Street, we focus on moms. So we typically work with that transitional youth age, which is 18 to 26-year-olds. Okay. And so these are younger moms. Moms who most likely don't have high school diplomas or GEDs have younger children birth to about five or six-year-olds. Okay. Um, a lot of our moms don't have employment. The biggest barriers for them are affordable child care yes. and um, transportation. Okay. So they rely heavily on the bus to get to jobs. So that kind of limits where they're able to work because it has to be within the bus line. Wow. And then affordable child care as well. So thankfully we get grant money to help pay for child care. Okay. For one child for full-time care, it's typically around $650. So if you have two children under the age of four, that's $1,300 that you're spending just on child care alone. And that's, is that 1300 a month? Yes. And so if you're working a low-end job, I mean, you're making maybe 1400 a month. You're spending it literally all on child all care. All on child care. But and then the rest of it, you're probably spending for commuting expenses and then food and the necessities that you may need. Yep. So it kind of makes sense at that point in time why you may not be able to afford adequate housing. Yes. And the government defines fair market housing to be about 30% of your income. Yes. There was a, a study that came out not too long ago that said many families are paying upward to 50% mm-hmm. of what they're earning is going toward housing expenses. Yes. Yeah. Most landlords ask that you have three times the amount. So if you're looking at a house that's $600, they want you to make $1,800. Wow. Mm-hmm. And we're even getting creative with landlords of they want that to be cash income. And so we're asking them to factor in food stamps or EBT. Oh, wow. Like, okay, so mom only is only making 1400 a month, but she's receiving 400 in food stamps. Absolutely. That puts her at three times. Still local landlords want that to be cash income that she's receiving. Wow. Or he's receiving. So how, how do you help families make that transition to being almost home? So we're a 90-day, up to 90-day emergency shelter. Okay. And so 90 days goes by way faster yes. than anyone would expect. Okay. Um, it's very hard for families to stabilize in 90 days. Yeah. Essentially, that's you come in the door hitting the ground running. Okay. Our problem is a lot of our families have an eviction on their record. Mm. And so that knocks out a lot of local housing opportunities. Okay. If they owe any money to any subsidized housing, that knocks out any other subsidized housing. Wow. And so we have a lot of families that owe maybe the housing authority $500. They have to pay that off before they can get on any waiting lists. Okay. So that's a huge, huge barrier for them. Once they come in within that 90-day period, what types of services are you able to provide in that time frame? Right. So we are a housing-first, low-barrier emergency shelter. Okay. And so that's – I'm going to kind of define those okay. things. So housing-first is everything we do is housing-related. They do case management with me once a week. 
And again, our conversations circle around housing. We understand that lots of things affect housing. Absolutely. Your employment affects your housing. Affordable child care affects your housing. Mental health affects your housing. Mm. We understand financial literacy affects your housing. So we understand that everything is intertwined. Okay. Um, we provide holistic case management, meaning we see them as a whole person. All right. Not just you need to get a job. You know, we understand that everything, again, is connected. Absolutely. So housing first means the day they move in, we're already talking about housing. I provide a housing resource list. I said, get on these waiting lists. Most of our families are already on these waiting lists because it's anywhere from eight to about 14 months to okay. even get an interview to get housing. Oh, that's just for the interview. Mm -hmm. And then how much time would it take after an interview reasonably? Depending on the agency, it takes maybe 60 days. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so not too much of a drag. Right. I was I was hoping you weren't going to say another three or six months. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like, really, what are we talking about? Okay. Right. So the way our clients access our services is giving us a phone call, and so that we do kind of a, a mini screening via over the phone. And so at that point, we're already referring them to housing before they even get in okay. our door. Absolutely. So we're talking about, are you on the housing authority waiting list? Tell me about your eviction history. We're kind of going through checklists with them. Okay. We do a screening essentially to make sure that they fit our requirement of homeless. Our funders require us. It has to be literally homeless, meaning sleeping outside, sleeping in a vehicle, or sleeping in a place not meant for habitation. We're back in the studio for a moment. We've got to take a break. Next up, we'll learn what it's like for people in the shelter and what you can do to help. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Elwood & Getz Financial Planning and Investments. As fee-only financial planners, they are fiduciaries to their clients. That's E-L-W-O-O-D-G-O-E-T-Z dot com. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from listeners just like you. For more information about how you can support financial literacy, visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Hey, this is Danny Kofke, and I'm here with this week's Wealthy Person. Every episode, we will focus on someone that lives a wealthy life. This week, we are going to focus on someone who has one of the most inspirational stories I have ever read, multimillionaire investor Chris Gardner. Never knew his real father. He was brought up in poverty. Despite growing up in such harsh conditions, Chris believed he could be anything he wanted to. After graduating high school, he spent four years in the Navy and then moved to San Francisco where he started selling medical equipment. His life then changed when he saw someone parking his Ferrari, kind of like mine did when I saw Matt in his Ferrari. Chris asked this gentleman what he did for a living. This man was a stockbroker named Bob Bridges. Chris expressed an interest in doing this as well, and Bob helped him get an interview to become an intern. Things were definitely looking good for Chris. However, just a few days before the interview, he was arrested and put in jail because of unpaid parking tickets. Ugh. Chris was able to make the interview, but was wearing the ratty clothes he had on when he was arrested. Despite his appearance, Chris landed this low-paying trainee job. At this point in his life, Chris was 27 years old and raising his son by himself. Chris did not have enough money to put down a deposit on an apartment, and he and his son were homeless for a year. 
They slept wherever they could. Such spots included a bathroom at a railway station, in parks, at a shelter, and even under his desk at work. They ate in soup kitchens, and what little money he had left was spent putting his son in daycare so he could go to work. Despite facing such tough times, Chris thrived in his job. A natural at selling stocks and shares, at the end of his training period, his firm, Dean Witter Reynolds, made him a full-time employee. Finally able to rent a home for himself and his son, his career then rapidly ascended into the stratosphere, and in 1987, he opened his own investment firm, Gardner Rich. This story may sound familiar to you, and you may have seen it played by Will Smith in the 2006 movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. If you haven't, I suggest you do. It's one of my favorites. Here's one of the most memorable scenes from this movie. You got a dream, you got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you, you can't do it. You want something, go get it, period. Wow, how inspiring. I feel Chris is wealthy because of the change he made after becoming a more recognizable name. In 2012, his wife died from cancer at the very young age of 55. Chris then decided to reevaluate what he wanted to do for a living, and after three successful decades in finance, he decided on a complete career change. Some of the last conversations Chris and his wife had were her saying to him, now that we can see how truly short life can be, what will you do with the rest of your life? Chris realized he didn't want to be in stocks and selling them anymore. He wanted to help others. He reinvented himself as a motivational speaker and author. He now spends 200 days a year traveling the world speaking to packed audiences in more than 50 countries. Chris believes he disproves the theory that we are all products of our childhood environment. Instead, he says he made his own positive choices thanks to the love of his mother and support from other people. He says, I chose light from my mother and from others with whom I don't share a single drop of blood, and I embraced it. Until next time, here's to living wealthy. Welcome back to the show. I'm Matt Gorin, and I'm here with Michael Thomas. You just heard Danny Kofke, author of The Wealthy Teacher. Before we get back to Jocelyn's interview, we've got an announcement. We won a Gabby Barrett Award for Best Local Program! Thank <laughs> all of you for your support these last couple years, and congratulations also to WUGA. Yeah, WUGA actually came out the big winner here. This station won the best of the Gabbies, which is the best radio station in Georgia. That's right. We are honored to be working with these fine folks. And you know what? We couldn't do it without you. WUGA is supported by its listeners. Please visit WUGA.org and support the station. Thank you all for giving us the platform to have this conversation. And now back to Michael and Jocelyn. The work you do is a public good. Generally speaking, millions and millions of dollars don't just flow into the public. See, look at you laughing. <laughs> just don't flow into the public service sector of our economy. Yeah. So why is serving in the capacity in which you do important to you? Right. So I'm a social worker by trade. Okay. And as a social worker, I really value social justice. Obviously, when you get into the social work profession, you, you understand that you're not going to be making a whole lot and you're okay with that. I think that's part. You shouldn't be. <laughs> Pay social workers more. I'm going to say that again. They deserve it. All right, good. Right. And so I, I also value 
seeking justice for the oppressed. Ah. You know, and so as a social worker, we use the empowerment model. Our clients are the experts in these situations. Love it. I am not the expert in the situation. I have never experienced homelessness. You know, I don't know what it's really like to be in their shoes. So my role as their the shelter coordinator and as their case manager is to provide resources and to help remove barriers. Okay. But again, my moms, our dads, our families are the experts, and they know what's best for their families. Absolutely. And so a lot of the time, they don't hear that from other people. They don't hear that from the helping professions of, you know what's best for you, and my job is to help you. My job is not to do it for you. My job is not to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you make decisions for yourself, and my job here is to help to be a sounding board. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If there is one thing that individuals who are struggling with just putting people in this poverty box mm-hmm. and labeling them as, you know, they're lazy, they don't want to work, uh, which statistically roughly 65 to 70% of people who use public assistance are working. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a separate issue in and of itself. What is it that they need to know about these populations that they're oblivious to? Right. So I think a lot of it, this population is underemployed meaning they don't have an opportunity to kind of work up an employment, like into a career. Absolutely. A lot of this population view it as jobs, and they go from job to job to job, and it's not necessarily career-focused. Okay. And so, again, that's kind of learning and listening to as a middle class. To us, I've been taught, you know, what career do you want to have? For some of our clients and some of our friends who are in poverty – that's never been discussed. It's what job will you do now? And then what job are you going to be doing in a year? And then what job will you be doing once you have another kid? So it's going from job to job to job. So learning what the language you're using. Okay. The same thing with, I was always taught, like, where are you living? And it's that, it's where are you staying? staying. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I would also say, I would love for people to know, again, most of our moms and our dads and our families want better jobs for themselves. Um, a lot of them are working third shift at the poultry. There's no way to work up that ladder. I have moms who have CNAs, so they're certified nursing assistants. Yeah. They would love more than anything to be a medical assistant or even get an RN. But because they have three kids, they can't afford to go back to school because they're working 50, 60 hours a week and yeah. raising three children. And you were just talking about child care expenses. If there's someone mm-hmm. out there who's listening right now that's like, you know, I want to reach out. I want to learn more. I want to volunteer. I want to give, right? Again, social <laughs> social workers need to be paid for, right? I want to give. How can they go about reaching out to you all? So we have a couple of ways. The main way to access that is our online. So that would be helpathenshomeless.org, and you can click on our volunteer tab. That gives you lots of different opportunities. We have meal providers every night of oh, the year. Awesome. Right? And so that's something you can make food on site, or you can prepare it somewhere else and bring it in. Okay. And so that's at our barber location. So that's typically up to 21 people. All right. Again, 365 days a year, especially during the holidays, especially when UGA students are in Athens. Mm. So summer times, we always need meal providers, Christmas break, Thanksgiving break. Another way to get involved is we have child care that we need Monday through Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Okay. A lot of that is coming into our shelter again and making relationships with our shelter children, reading books, playing outside. We ask for consistent volunteers, so we ask that you dedicate at least six to eight weeks. Okay. I mean, ideally, we would really love for you to come for 90 days, <laughs> you know, follow yeah. follow with that family, family. 
You're more um, invested and commit, yes. absolutely seeing their success. Right. And so my favorite thing is to hear kids ask for volunteers by name. They're mm. like, oh, when is Mr. Nick coming back? Or, oh, when it. is Miss Sarah coming back? And then to see that volunteer walk through the door and the kids just light up. Wow. And again, it's two hours, you know, maybe twice a week for 90 days. Okay. Creating those relationships with these families. Love it. If there is someone listening who needs your services, but may be afraid to reach out, may not feel like they're deserving, what would you say to that individual who's listening right now, who's struggling to make the call? You're not alone. We're here to help. Please give us a call. We answer the phones Monday through Fridays from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Our phone number is 706-354-0423. We're never a dead end. The reason we have the name Athens and Homeless, those two words in our name, is so we're the first stop of resources for anyone in Athens experiencing homelessness. Okay. While we only house families, mm-hmm. if you Google Athens Homeless, we're the first agency that pops up. And so we give lots of referrals to appropriate resources depending on the individual. So even if you're not a family, I would say still reach out to us. Absolutely. Do you have a success story that really just kind of warms your heart? Yeah, I do, actually. Would you mind sharing that? I would love that. So we had a shelter mom who had four kiddos. Well, she had five kiddos, but four came into the shelter with us. She was in our program for around 90 days, you know, hit the ground running, had two jobs when she moved in, worked tirelessly. Her kids' school attendance increased because they were stably housed. Yes. And so they, she essentially, we don't have graduations, but she was successful in our shelter program. She utilized case management. She utilized our financial literacy counselor. She said, teach me, help me in any way possible. She went to our going home program. Okay. She was in that program for four months and then was able to find other housing within the community that was affordable for her. Wow. Her fifth child was in foster care and they are reunited oh, that's because awesome. she was stably housed and was able to maintain her employment. Wow. So we were uniting families. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Thanks again, Jocelyn. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks again to Jocelyn from the Athens Area Homeless Shelter for being on the show. If you're struggling with homelessness or want to help out, search for a local shelter. Here in Athens, visit helpathenshomeless.org or call 706-354-0423. That number again is 706 354 Four zero four two three. There are some other amazing organizations who are helping those in need. The Sparrow's Nest and the Athens Ark, just to name a couple here. These organizations are designed to help people where they are. There are a multitude of ways as a community to get involved and to help these organizations that are already doing some amazing work. And if you're not in Athens, please do find the resources you need in your local community. The single best place to start looking is probably 211 from the United Way. 211's a phone number. Call that up for a directory or visit unitedway.org or search online for 211 United Way. And you know what? That website is really amazing. It has resources not just for those experiencing homelessness, but for everything. If you're struggling and need help, please check them out. 
There are tons of nonprofits on there, companies, mental health providers, lawyers, doctors. Hats off to the United Way and their supporters for putting all that together. Yeah. Looking for some guidance specifically with your personal finances? Visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and send us a message. We're happy to help over email, phone, or in person. And if you help out an organization, we love to speak to an audience. We've given (laughs) talks literally coast to coast and want to hear from you too. And if you're feeling philanthropic, please head over to our website and click on the donate button at the top of the page. Or if you work for a financial services company, pledge your support for public radio and financial education. Become an underwriter of the show. Is that it? I think so. Thanks again, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. And special thanks to Jocelyn Crumpton and Olivia Amato of the Athens Area Homeless Shelter. And thank you for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. This show is recorded in the studios of WUGA Athens on the University of Georgia campus. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org.